Welcome to PwC's People and Organization podcast. This series is focused on helping you make a difference as an HR leader and business partner. In each episode, you'll receive new ideas from an experienced leader who is helping employers to drive workforce transformation. You'll also receive clear takeaways to put these ideas to use in your own organization. My name is Aaron Minkin. I am a director in PwC's People and Organization Benefits Practice, and I will be moderating a three-part series examining the impact of COVID-19 on employer-sponsored benefits. I am excited to be joined today by Barbara Newick and Derek Skoog. Barbara and Derek will discuss how deferrals of preventive care and elective procedures by planned participants will impact employers' benefits costs in the near term and how employers and payers alike can budget for 2021. As many of us have seen, employees' utilization of their medical, dental, and vision benefits is down this year. This may lead to a significant induced demand for services in late 2020 or 2021. So, as part of this discussion, Barbara and Derek will also explain why and how PwC's actuarial risk estimator model works and how it focuses not just on the impact of deferred utilization, but also on key cost drivers such as COVID-19 testing, treatment costs, and scenario modeling of the pandemic's possible trajectory by geographic location. Welcome, Barbara and Derek. Please take a moment to introduce yourselves and your background. Hello, I'm Barbara Newick. I'm a partner in the New York office. I am the health and welfare practice leader and a healthcare strategist that provides consulting advice to employers, payers, and providers of healthcare. I'm Derek Skoog, a director and actuary out of our Chicago office and health plans and providers assess risk and perform actuarial strategy. Barbara, to begin, can you please describe for us the impact you've seen on of COVID-19 on employer health plans generally? The impact of COVID-19 on employer health plans has been significant, but it's still unfolding. Demographics and the geographic footprint will determine what the ultimate magnitude will be. Overall, we've seen a reduction in utilization of healthcare, sometimes large, especially among discretionary care, which can be as much as 30 to 50% of healthcare services. The reductions have typically followed exactly what you would expect. Low to minimum use of the emergency room. Finally, we've been able to limit the emergency room. Lower therapies, use of therapies, especially PT and chiropractic therapies. Less lab and radiology tests almost no vision in dental care, and a lot of the inpatient and outpatient surgeries are, have been put on hold. There are some services that haven't changed materially, like maternity, so people are still having babies, although we understand there are challenges in where they're having them in certain parts of the country and in the world. Mental health initially was stable, a slightly depressed, but actually it has increased, and we're seeing that increase in mental health continue to go up as virtual health has really kind of come in there. A couple of areas are mixed and a little surprising to us. Chemotherapy is down a little bit, so people that were in mid-therapy slowed down. Obviously, they're at risk, worried about where they're going, and also drugs are a little bit mixed. We would have expected the acute drugs to come down, didn't really see that happen. So drugs have stayed relatively stable. The cost of COVID care, testing aside, has been less than what we traditionally 
see in hospital-based care. So people that were going in the hospital, staying in for a long period of time, very often weren't costing as much as they would be for more acute hospitalizations. So even though hospitals have capacity issues, potentially the cost of care isn't really what we were expected. The reductions have been and will continue to be followed by some sort of uptick in utilization, reflecting what the pent-up demand of deferred care. Um, that rate in which care comes back started out a lot faster than we anticipated, so it kind of bumped up to normal quickly, but the new infection rates will likely result in further deferred care as well. So that's a lot, and it seems as if it's an evolving issue here. How has employer strategy changed as the impact and the trajectory of the pandemic continued to change? Well, that's evolving too, Aaron. So we moved from a time where we were in an all-out war for talent to now a rate of high unemployment and over 5 million new Americans without employer-sponsored health care, an environment where liquidity is often the main goal. So instead of adding benefits to try to keep employees happy, we're trying to keep them employed. So many companies are looking for cost savings wherever they can, and benefit programs are easy targets. I would say employers are really mixed in their response, depending on where their specific business disruption lies. Employers that have been able to successfully transition to a work-from-home environment or continue to produce services and products are holding steady with existing strategies, not adding, maybe tightening up, but really holding steady right now. Others are looking to save money. Many have instituted pay cuts. We've seen that in a total rewards setting. So they're cutting execs for, for staff sometimes, mostly for executives. Others are evaluating their healthcare strategy to try and take advantage of the market disruption and considering more efficient platforms in which to provide benefits like narrow networks, high, more high deductible plans, high performing networks, and private exchanges may even come back as a platform in which to do some of this stuff. Employers are also considering increasing employee contributions, I'm sure something employees don't want to hear. And then we also see a jump in considering salary-based contributions. Other parts of the strategy that seem to be in flux include support for caregiving, especially as we're trying to figure out if schools are opening or not opening. PTO programs or paid time off programs, leave programs, and even some are considering instituting some work-at-home benefits. Well, there's an awful lot to consider. When it comes to cost, though, what should employers be looking at or thinking about as they struggle to estimate the cost impact of COVID-19 on their own plans, both for this year and for 2021? Employers need to think about how their programs and partners will control costs going forward. We're seeing an unprecedented outreach from providers trying to get patients back into the healthcare system, whether it's a local hospital, provider groups, dentists, everybody. Direct-to-consumer has increased drug costs spending tremendously. So health plans will need to control unnecessary utilization that the providers are doing. This direct-to-consumer has been really a big deal before for us. Providers are also looking for ways to make up revenue shortfalls, and we need to be worried about price increases. And we see that with virtual care. Used to be virtual care prices were a lot lower than in-person care prices or physical prices. Now we see providers getting paid the same, whether it's virtual or physical. So we need to worry about prices. And lastly, I think claim costs and quality control. Health plans have really turned off some of the controls in the systems in an effort to get providers' money faster. 
so we need to make sure that they're only paying for the right things in there. These controls that have been shut down are put back in and that there's been a look-back period or an audit by the health plans to make sure they didn't pay for things they shouldn't. Employers also need to worry about the clawback. And that's what the the rate is in deferred care, deferred utilization. So how much of that's going to come back? Some of the care won't come back. If you miss PT visits, chances are you're not going to just take them. So some stuff, and especially the emergency room, we don't expect that to come back. But the other stuff is probably going to come back. And in fact, our actuarial model has already been adjusted a couple of times as the length of deferral wasn't quite as long as we expected and the clawback or the rate of return happened very quickly. With the new infection rates and challenges in the South and in the West, we really need to continuously evaluate. But going back to the one of the parts of your questions are, and for employers, we expect that 2020 is typically a really good year, beating budget. So you'll come in under budget, unless you're New York-centric and have an older population and everyone hung out. But if depending on where people are and what happened in the regions where they're working, 2020 tends to look like it's going to be a pretty good year across the board. 2021 is a little bit harder to pin down. It will likely depend on the prevalence of the virus, additional deferred care rates, and the availability of a vaccine. Barbara, given that the seriousness of the pandemic affects different geographic areas differently, how often should employers, and payers for that matter, be evaluating or reevaluating their exposure to cost fluctuations? I think you got to do it continuously. You have to look at your bank account, especially if you're self-insured. It's pretty easy to do. Track the bank account payments each day, each week to identify when the ups and downs are and put pressure on your health plan partners to provide you information on utilization patterns, specifically COVID tests, COVID hospitalizations, COVID care costs, and other utilization by major diagnostic category or type of service at the least. Because of the quickly evolving geographic infection rates, employers need to be able to see how this changes real time. Very interesting. Maybe we could turn our attention to the health plans and the payers now. Derek, what actions are health plans taking to support employers during this difficult time? That's a great question. And I think as you take up really the health sector from a macro perspective, health plans right now are really the ones with the deepest pockets given that that deferred care that you and Barbara have been talking about. And so they're really looking for ways and, and often creative ways and levers they haven't really pulled in the past to make sure that they're supporting their employer customers as well as their provider community. On the employer support side, really what we're seeing the primary route that they've taken is to think about premium holidays and premium relief. As Barbara had mentioned, Really, it's across the board. We're seeing some really significant deferred care. As we look at June financials, though, a lot of that care has largely returned, but the trough of deferred care that that was created in April and May really created a a glut of capital for for many uh, health plans. And so what we're seeing are health plans continuing to explore ways of either implementing premium holidays or essentially preemptively rebating premium to fully insured groups because ultimately, there's a good chance that those premium dollars are going to make it back out to employers in the form of of minimum loss ratio rebates. And so this is a way to to essentially help stabilize their employer partners uh, sooner rather than later, where those MLR rebates often take quite some time to actually make it out the door. Additionally, health plans have really been looking to make sure that care gets delivered and really trying to reduce barriers to care. So as Barbara noted, there are a lot of reductions in terms of prior authorization and claim edits that, that help providers deliver care. But then, you know, we've seen 
on the fully insured side, a number of payers start to eliminate cost sharing, for example, for preventive care or even more broadly for, for PCP visits and even specialist visits in some cases, making sure that members and patients are getting in the door and getting the care that they need. You know, we've heard anecdotally from a number of providers that patients are presenting with symptoms that are more advanced than they had in prior years. So the early cancer patient would have come in after losing five pounds and having a relatively small mass today might be presenting in a much more delayed setting after losing, say, 30 pounds and having a much larger mass and the sort of anecdotal from certain provider groups. And so really the key is to get patients in the door and, and really remove those barriers to care. And I'd say for older populations, especially, that's important where there's a, a significant chronic disease burden. The cost of managing high-cost diabetic, for example, is usually kind of three to five times what a well-managed diabetic may cost. And so making sure that those chronic conditions are well-managed and that patients are continuing to see their primary care physicians on a regular basis is absolutely crucial. And, and that's an area where health plans and, and their employers and members are all well aligned. On the provider support side, health plans beyond just reducing sort of barriers to care have been providing financial assistance to provider groups and hospitals, often in the form of prepayments, either an estimate of typical fee-for-service spend or claims costs that they would have delivered otherwise, sometimes in certain geographies where value-based care and risk-based contracting is more prevalent, we're seeing health plans essentially pay out value-based care contracts in advance as well to help provide some liquidity for providers. We expect really long-term and probably even sooner than that, a number of geographies where value-based care and risk-based contracting wasn't prevalent, we expect really a pretty significant uptick as areas like California and Florida where capitation is really much more significant part of health plan provider contracting strategy. Those providers had experienced much more stable financial results in April and May when all that care was getting deferred, and that lesson is really being learned nationally. Well, it sounds as if the health plans are taking some very, very large efforts, extraordinary efforts, as well as some smaller efforts to help support employers and members. How are the health plans thinking about pricing and budgeting for upcoming renewals? How are they taking factors such as trend and stay-at-home orders into account in all of this? Yeah, that's a great question. And and really, a lot of the same factors that employers are thinking about on the self-funded side, health plans are thinking about the exact same issues on the fully insured side. And you know, we spend a lot of time thinking and looking at rate filings from, from health plans and helping plans think about where they should be setting rates for the future. And in one particular state, there were three significant health plans filing rates in the individual market. And one of the plans had an estimated 2% increase in claims costs for 2021 projected as a result of COVID-19. Another plan estimated a roughly 0% impact and the third plan estimated roughly negative 2% impact or actually a decrease in claims cost associated with COVID-19. And so really the same variability as far as projecting 2021 costs exists just as well for health plans. And unfortunately, there's a pretty wide diversity of thought there. But I think where there's a lot of variability and uncertainty is around really the general sort of policy environment that we're going to be seeing over the next 12 months as we can take kind of this slow burn approach of not necessarily managing the, the COVID cost curve or the, the COVID infection curve rather down to something closer to zero, like what we're seeing in Europe 
but rather if we continue to run at a rate of positive COVID infection, that really presents a situation where certain geographies like what we're seeing in, in Texas, for example, right now in Arizona, the electives are now being deferred again. And so we're likely to see more deferred care in the back half of 2020 here in certain geographies. And depending on the mix with a flu season in the winter, potentially even more deferred care in 2021. That was essentially what was cited in the decrease to claims cost in the third rate filing that we described. So it's a really complex situation. It's really difficult to understand just sort of where we're going to be as a society really managing the COVID infection. And that's probably driving the most uncertainty. Frankly, uncertainty around things like, like vaccine costs, it's easy to put a number around the potential, the potential impact of that on rates. It's much, much more challenging to understand or develop a, a coherent point of view with where politicians and frankly, the broader populace will be when it comes to managing the actual infection curve. So it does seem like there is quite a bit that's unknown. But as Barbara said, in response to a prior question, constantly looking at the data, understanding how it's moving and where it's moving is crucial, both for employers as well as for health plans. Yeah, absolutely. Going forward, how should employers think about the cost of testing and the financial impact on their plans of a potential vaccine? Yep, it's a great question. And the administration gave guidance in, in June around exactly what cost needs to be covered under the health plan for testing. And the general summary was really that testing that was really medically necessary or required to deliver medical care ought to be covered underneath health plan, whether fully insured or self-insured, but that other testing related to, say, return to work strategy wouldn't be covered. That announcement from the administration was met with a fair bit of consternation from a number of, of stakeholders. And actually, just recently, we saw a letter from congressional Democrats to the administration, as well as actually draft legislation from Republicans basically suggesting that health plans should be covering the cost of testing broadly defined and inclusive of return to work and strategic testing. And so there is a fair bit of uncertainty around testing and the cost of testing going forward under the really the, the current administrative rules, the health plans and employers should really be thinking about a, a fairly high degree of testing and projecting out future testing levels that are likely well in excess of, of where we are today. The CDC recently suggested that by September, we'd have roughly 100 million tests per month. That's materially higher than the testing level we have today. So as employers are looking at their own claims costs and, and thinking and looking specifically at the cost of testing, they should expect those costs to ramp up even absent an expansion in the coverage of testing. Now, if coverage does get expanded significantly, that could pose a, a pretty significant burden on both health plan and employer financials as the cost of testing is not trivial. And we've seen many tests run 100 to 200 or potentially more dollars per test. And so it's definitely an area where employers should develop their own perspective in terms of how does testing fit into their return to work strategy and exactly what coverage they'd expect to provide their employees for those testing costs. And then really on the vaccine side, there's a pretty wide range of a potential cost of a vaccine. In general, we've seen many estimates out anywhere from 10 to $150, and most estimates somewhere in the middle of that range, roughly. Uh, but, but one of the big questions employers and health plans have 
is just what the take-up rate is going to be on a vaccine that, that comes to market fairly quickly. And some consumer surveys that have come out has shown that a number or really a fairly high percentage of the population has a lot of uncertainty about whether they would themselves take an early uh, COVID vaccine. And most health plans within their initial rate filings for 2021 are expecting 80% or more uptake in, in terms of vaccinations. However, most consumer surveys indicate that number might be closer to 50% perhaps or even lower, depending on exactly what the messaging is around those vaccines. And so even in vaccines, there's a fair bit of uncertainty, but at least the, the cost is not expected to be particularly burdensome, especially in light of a number of comments from pharmaceutical industry around not wanting to earn outsized profits related to delivery and, and creation of this vaccine. Barbara and Derek, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge, both on the employer and on the uh, health plan side. Very, very interesting discussion. And uh, thank you to all who've been listening to this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com backslash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.